0: Welcome to The Church Podcast. Today, you will hear a message that will leave you inspired, encouraged, and equipped to impact your world for God. Now, let's join Pastor Jim in this week's message. Now, go
1: ahead and pull out your message notes. They're in your service maps that we've talked about a couple of times today. Uh, They're they're, they're the notes for today's message, and we want you to uh, write down some of the scriptures. How many know it's not just what you hear, but it's what you write. And it's got to get inside of you. And so we provide these. I know many of you, you don't even take service maps anymore. I just encourage you to go ahead and continue to take the message notes and so that you can take those with you throughout the week and study and go back through the things that we have talked about. Now, we're talking about four cups. These are the four core promises that God has for every one of you in your life. And so now God has thousands of promises the, the scriptures are filled with over 3,000 promises. But when you read the word of God, there's really four main promises. It's a journey in life that God wants each and every one of us to experience for ourselves. In the first week, what we did was we talked about those promises are over 3,500 years old. So think about that. But 3,500 years. God has had the, the core of his heart, the, the heartbeat of who he is, these four promises for each and every one of us. And so we, we really laid it out and gave a foundation. And the thing that I've got to know and you've got to know is if God has these promises, how come many people don't live their life ever experiencing those promises? And so we talked about that in week one. The second week we talked about uh, was Christ our Passover lamb. And uh, we, we, I know for some people you think of Passover and maybe a little bit confusing. You need to go back and listen to the podcast. But the gist of that message is this, none of these promises work apart from Jesus. You've got to have the relationship. It's not like a get-rich-quick scheme. God has promises that he wants for your life, but those promises are only attained in a relationship with Jesus. And so that's the gist of that. And then on Easter Sunday, how many here were with, with us on Easter, had an amazing uh, services? We started to talk about the four core promises, and I want to continue that today. But I want to go back and just catch some people up. Some of you may be here for the very first time. So I want you to be caught up on that. And some of you may have missed a week or so. So let's go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Now, these are the four promises of God. It's first mentioned in the story of Moses. This is where Moses is going into Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. And it's the first time that we see in Scripture God declaring the four promises for our life. And so verse 6 says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So that's the first promise. <clears throat> Jewish per- people call it the, f- I, the four I wills. This is the first promise. He's going to bring us out from underneath the yoke of the Egyptians. And if you were here Easter Sunday, we talked about this promise is God's promise to do in and of himself. You don't have to do anything for it. It's a gift from God to you. And I'll explain that a little bit later. The second promise... He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. So once God gets you out of Egypt, now what he wants to do is he wants to get Egypt out of you. And so here, this is where all the work begins. The first promise, the first cup that we get to drink from as believers, it's all God's work in our life. The second one, how many know that's where the work begins? Uh, We talked about it last week, and one of the phrases that we used is relationships are the key to freedom. And so in that, we discover great godly relationships that bring freedom to our lives. Again, you can go back and listen to the podcast. And the third promise, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, this is the only promise that God tells us how he's going to do it. And I'm going to talk about this in just a few moments. But then let's go to the fourth promise. He says, And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And I like to say it like this. It's then and only then that you'll know what real, true Christianity is all about. What about challenges Uh, in today's society and environment? I I hear people all the time say, Yeah, I'm not really into all that Christianity thing. I don't even know if I'd want to be a Christian Because it doesn't look like something that's better than what I've got. And what I would say is this. The world, in my opinion, maybe is not seeing what Christianity is really. But there's a church in Rosenberg, Texas, that God is bringing us on a journey that my greatest desire is that when they see us, we wouldn't look like everybody else. We would look like the people God wants us to look like. And that in that, the world would experience what true Christianity is all about. And so in simple terms, just to catch you up, it really breaks down like this. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. And you can write this in your notes. And that's what the Jewish people call it. We say salvation. So we talked about it again at Easter. And it stands all on its own. Did you know there's nothing you can do to be saved? Christ is the one that paid the price. It's a free gift. The the Bible says, simply believe. The reason he did that is because he don't want you to work your own salvation out so that you get the credit. It's all by grace through faith. Can I get an amen? Amen. Second cup, the Jewish people say the cup of deliverance. It's the second promise. We say freedom. And in this, we understand that true freedom comes in relationship. And one survey says that 80% of Christian, 87% of Christians in America, they never get past this cup. They get stuck in their hurts, their habits, and their hangups. They're going to heaven, but they live life defeated. But God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to drink from the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. And a simple way for us to say that is restoration. Restoration restoration. God doesn't want you just to get out of Egypt. God doesn't want to just get Egypt out of you. Now what God wants to do is he wants to put you back to the original intent with which he created you. And so we call that restoration. And I'm going to talk about that. And why would he want to restore us? So that we could partake of the last and final cup and final promise. And that is the cup of praise cup of praise. And so we say we want to live a fulfilled life. It's the cup of fulfillment. So God came that we might have life and life to the full. Everybody say full. And so that's the fourth and final cup. And I'm going to talk about that promise next week. Now it's my great pleasure as your pastor to really be your tour guide. That I'm called to shepherd this church, this wonderful church and body of believers, and help us to take the journey in life. That we would not get stuck in one place, but each and every week we say, okay, God, you're doing this in my life. Let me take the next step. What's the next step? How many know that you're not supposed to be stuck? And some of you feel stuck, and I'll tell you this. These four cups, these four promises are the very key, the very foundation to help you in your life to get unstuck. And so my job is to bring us through this journey. And today I'm going to talk about the cup of redemption, the third promise today, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. And I'll go back to read the promises. It says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. So before we talk about the outstretched arms and mighty acts of judgment, let's just talk about the word redeemed for just a moment. The Webster's Dictionary actually defines it in a great way. And so I want to use its definitions. It's got three. Let's talk about the first. The first one is to buy back or to repurchase. To buy back or repurchase. So redeem means that I'm going to repurchase. Notice it's not I'm going to purchase, it's buying back. See, God made each and every one of you. He fashioned you. He formed you. But the Bible says that we all have gone astray. We all ended up living our own life, going in our own direction. And so we sell ourselves off to this slavery of bondage. And so we have wandered away. And so Christ comes back in and he buys us back and so we're in this dark and lonely place and many of you, maybe you're isolated, you felt miserable and you were doing life all by yourself, all on your own and all of a sudden you realize, man, I need some help. And so that's where it's, it's a wonderful picture, much like a flea market. You know, if you go to a flea market, it's, you would be there and you're all used up. You're old, you're ratty, you're really no good. It's kind of the leftovers. And Jesus walks in and says, I want that. How much do you want for that? And the owner of the object says, listen, you can have that, but it's going to cost you everything. And Jesus says, well, that's okay. I'm willing to pay everything. I want it. So, Jesus lives in this world, dies, gives his life so that he could buy you back from the slavery that you allowed and walked into. He's buying us back. I can get a better amen. That's great news right there. I don't know about you. The second thing is this second definition is to change for the better, to reform. Reform. I love this definition because so many of us have set such low goals for ourselves that we in and of ourselves we, we don't have God's standard for our life. Many people, and I've heard this often, Pastor, you know what? My goal is just to have no bad in my life. Like like I just, I just can you get the bad to stop? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just, just have the bad stop. Well, we've got to understand that's not good enough. God doesn't want the bad to stop. He wants you to live a better life. It's not just keeping the bad away, it's living God's great purpose, his great life for us, in us, and through us. And so we understand that he reforms us and wants us to live fulfilled in the way that he created and designed each and every one of us. And the third definition, this is my favorite. And it's really where we get the cup of uh, restoration. It's where we get restoration. So he wants to repair and to restore. Repair and to restore. It'd be an example of an old junk car out in the junkyard. Mirrors are broken off. There's rust eaten through the body. The upholstery is all torn up. It may or may not have rims, but it definitely doesn't drive, doesn't do what it was created to do. It's sitting in the junkyard. And Jesus walks into the junkyard, says, I'll take that, takes it away. He begins to work on it, clean it up, get the rust out, fix the mirrors, repaint it, put brand new upholstery, throw down some rims because you and Rose Rich and you got to have rims on a classic. And so he gets it. And now what was a junk car becomes a classic. And that classic is priceless. And let me tell you this, Jesus wants to take what you have considered junk and make you a priceless classic. Classic. And say, listen, I want you to have the view that I have of you, not the view that you have of yourself. So here we are. We're asking, why do so few people actually drink from this cup? What's the problem? Well, the the answer is actually found in the verse. So go back to verse 6. It says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. So why does God redeem us with an outstretched arm? It's because your view of yourself is much lower than God's view of you. And so we see ourselves as broken. I have this, Pastor, I'm born again. I was saved. I know God changed me, but I'm just a wreck. Woe is me. I'm pitiful. I just, I just want to make it in this world. I'm going to heaven. I love God. I pray and have a relationship. But you don't know my past, Pastor. You know, I'm doing good just to be a Christian. Well, let me tell you, that's not God's view of you. God sees you as priceless, And here's the real problem, and you can write this word down. The real problem, the reason he does, is because there's inferiority. You have this inferiority complex in your life, and so you don't see any good in your life. You don't see anything that God could use and say, man, that's awesome. But I love what the psalmist says. When you look at psalms, the psalmist actually says this, you stoop down to make me great. Did you know, and you got to get this, this is somebody in here today, God Made you great. There is greatness on the inside. Oh, no, you don't know my past. I don't have to know your past. I know our God. And I know that God made you great. That on the inside of you, at the depth of your being, in the bottom of your heart, at the core of who you are, there is greatness. It may be pushed down, shoved down, discarded. But God wants to resurrect the greatness inside of you. I remember growing up, you know, I I struggled with inferiority. And I know you probably wouldn't think that today. But I remember... I had great parents, great dad, all that. But some kind of a seed was planted in my heart that you're never good enough. Have you ever been around a bunch of people and never felt like you fit in? It's not proximity. It's just the the condition of your heart. So I I would play sports. I did all the stuff. And I would begin to self-sabotage my life because I never felt like I was good enough. And I just remember this isolation of, man, you know, I'm saved, but God, why would you use me? You don't really know who I am because if you knew who I really was, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me. But somewhere in my life, it actually was 2003, God grabbed a hold of me and inside of me, he began to say, I don't want you to see you for what you see. I want you to see you for what I see. And there began a transformation process that, God, I am good enough. Lord, you put greatness inside of me. And this is what I know. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do tricks. I don't have to please man. If I will please you, you will cause the very thing that's inside of me to to bring glory to you in this world. And there's greatness that God began to cultivate. And now I I don't walk in inferiority. I do have moments of it. I told Phyllis this last week. I was off at some event. And... Uh, I know that it was an attack of the enemy, but I told her, I said, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And that feeling of man not being good enough, like you gotta perform. And I just came back and said, it don't matter. I'm never gonna perform. I'm gonna be all that God created because this is what I know. Whatever he designed me to be, if I will focus on him, I will live it out. And so there's this inferiority inside of us that we have to fight. It reminds me of this story of of a man who went into a pet store. So he's walking around in this pet store and he's looking around. There's a parrot on the other side of the room and the parrot looks at the man and says, hey, hey, you, come over here. The man looks around and says, who, me? He says, oh, yeah, you. He says, okay. So he walks over to the parrot. He says, what? The parrot looks at him and says, you're the ugliest person I have ever seen in my entire life. The man looks around and says, I'm offended. He goes and tells the, the pet store manager, and he says, your bird has just insulted me. So the manager of the pet store, he goes over and he slaps the bird around and pulls a few feathers and says, don't you ever talk to my customers like that again. So the parrot sits up on the branch, and about a month later, the man walks back in the parrot store, minding his own business, and he hears from the side, hey, you, come over here. He looks over at the parrot. And he's thinking, He says, okay. He said, me? He said, yep. He walks over. He says, what? The parrot looked at the man and said, you know what? So this is how it plays out. You come to church, you found this church. God begins to touch your life. You think, "Man, you're doing something in me." Somebody, maybe you're here the second time, maybe it's the third time, maybe you've been here for 6 months and you know you're doing good. You're you're here, you're praying, you're spending time with God. You maybe you're serving on the dream team, maybe you're going through the first steps of growth track, and you're worshiping God and the devil says, "What are you doing? You remember what you did last week? You know what?" And so you have this parrot talking in your head saying, you know what? Every time you step out to go and minister to someone, he says, you know what? You can't do that. Why? Because of the things in the past. The devil, he wants you to feel inferior so that he can stop God's plan for your life. Ephesians says this. (laughs) You just got to get a hold of this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. The God of the universe who created heaven and earth, all of creation, you're not just some leftover random thought. You are his masterpiece. Just think about that. Masterpiece. It says God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And so what you've got to do is stop seeing what you see and start seeing what God sees. He didn't make junk. You're not discarded. You're not junk. He goes on. He says he has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned long ago. Isn't that the process of fulfillment? So that you can do the good things that he planned long ago. So it's that journey. So let me explain it to you this way you're not an accident. Your parents didn't conceive. Now I know you may say, Your parents said you're an accident. Whoops. God's not sitting in heaven saying, Uh oh we got to do something with this. So, you know, I, I, I see, uh, so, you know, somebody, I see Blanca over there, man. Gosh, she was surprised, but let me find out what I can do with her. You're not a surprise to God. Though your parents may not have planned you, God ordained you. And so it's actually the opposite. So this is what happens, and this is what you got to get inside. So God had a plan. He's got a purpose. He wants this city, this region, this nation, this world touched by his power for his glory. And what he did was he said, aha, this is my plan, and I know I'm going to put Blanca. Her parents think she's an accident. She had an accident. But I'm going to put inside of Blanca the design, the gifts, the talent, the things that I want to fulfill the plan. It's going to be inside of her because she is fearfully and wonderfully made. So your perspective has to be different. You're not an accident. God had a plan. You're his masterpiece. So the second part of that promise is this. He says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. Mighty acts of judgment. Now you say, is that for me? No, it's not for you. It's for the devil. God is going to judge the enemy of your soul. Who's the enemy of our soul? It's the devil. So we know this. The acts of judgment are not for you. God's hand is going to outstretch. He's going to pull you out. He wants to pull you up to see his perspective. However, the acts of judgment are to cancel the plans of the enemy in your life. The devil wants to put things in your way. And I love to say it like this. He wants to create a diversion. A diversion. A diversion. So what's a diversion? That's that's the part of your life and your story and your testimony that you're pretty sure God didn't intend to happen. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got a few diversions in my life. That when you look at it, you're like, God, I don't know that that was your perfect will. However, I know this. That even though you experience a diversion, our God can turn everything the enemy means for bad and turn it around for good. And so he will cause what the devil meant to get you off track to be something that's used for God's good. And this is what you have to know. It's not just bad things that happen to you. It's also good. Did you know that good can be enemy of God's great? I've talked to several people that are very successful. When you look at them, you'd say, man, they've climbed the ladder of success. They've seen seen great things in their life. But when you look at it, the good was enemy to God's great. So whether it's good or bad, the devil wants to derail you from what God has created you to do. 1 Thessalonians says this. It's a great story of Paul. It says, we wanted very much to come to you and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Now the Greek word prevented is ekoptu. And it literally means to cut a ditch. It means to uh, impede one's course. It means to hinder or to stop. And so the enemy is trying to cut a ditch in your path and trying to cause you to go a different direction. He's trying to cause you to stop going where God created you to go. And he'll do anything he can to do it. And that's where Romans chapter 8 verse 28 comes in. It says, and we know that God causes everything. Everybody say Everything. Oh, but you don't know my past. No, no. God causes? Well, pastor, you don't know what was done to me. God causes? To work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Some of you think I've gone too far. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. Let me tell you this. Any path you've taken, any place you've gone, it can be turned around so that you can get put back onto the right path of God. Any path. Any path. Here's how I like to say it, you can get to Dallas through San Antonio, it's just not the optimum route. Yeah, it may take you an extra three or four hours, I wouldn't go that way, but I'll tell you this, you can get to Dallas from San Antonio, it's just going to be a little bit harder, a little bit longer, but I'll tell you, you can find a road that will get you there. And some of you are sitting in the wrong city, going the wrong direction, and you came this morning, you're saying, Pastor... Is there a road to get me back on the right path? Let me tell you, there's a road. There's a path. It's not too far. You hadn't gone too long. God has a way to bring you back. I love this. Romans chapter eleven twenty eight. 28. This is my life's message. I just love it. It says God's gift. The message just articulates it so well. It says God's gifts and his call are under full warranty. Never canceled, never rescinded. God's call, His gifts, they're under full warranty. They're never canceled, they're never rescinded. So you think in there, I've gone, no, no, never canceled, never rescinded. What does that mean? God's never changed His mind about you. God has never changed His mind about you. He still has a purpose and a plan for you, and it's not too late. So, how do we drink from this cup? And you know, I'm sitting out there as your pastor. How do I take you on this journey? First thing is this you got to discover your gift. You've got to know that every one of you has a spiritual gift, that you're on this journey and you need to discover the gifts that God has given to you. Romans says it like this We all have different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. The grace that's given to us now, the word Greek, uh, the Greek word grace is charis, which means divine enablement. So some of you, every one of not some, but every one of you have a gift from God. You have in a divine enablement. We call it a grace gift. Let me tell you, for me to get up here is not hard. Does it take preparation? Absolutely. But I don't get nervous to get up here with you. Why? Because it is my gift to stand before you as your pastor and to feed you each and every week. Now, if I get someone up here, some of you, if I asked you to just pray, you'd start uh, sweating drops of blood. Like at the Garden of Gethsemane, you'd be like, oh my goodness. You would freeze up. Your knees would buckle. You'd be like, no, no. You would probably leave the church because I asked you to get up here and pray. Am I right? It's not your gift. Because when you have a gift, there's a grace to do the thing that God has called you to do. And some of you in here, God's given you the gift of helps. This is how that would play out. I want to help people. I want to do, you're part of the pastoral care team. You think about providing breakfast and lunch and dinners. How can I go to the hospital and visit? Well, see, that's a gift that God has given to you. Some of you, you got a passion to feed the homeless, and we all should be a part of the pastoral care, and we should all feed the homeless. But some of you, you live and sleep and eat and breathe. How do we help the poor? How do we help the poor? How do we help the poor? And so what you've got to recognize is that is a divine grace gift from God to you. Some of you have a gift of administration, and some of you have a gift of, of intercession, and it's apparent that the band has the gift of worship, Some of you have the gift of craftsmanship. The guys in here, you probably didn't even know that was a spiritual gift, but that means you just, you gotta work with your hands. And I would encourage you, get part of the setup team. See, it's not just about shaking hands. It's not just about greeting, but it's about using your gift. And so you've got this gift to use your hands to work. Well, the setup team does exactly that. They found their lane. They didn't have to be anybody else except who God created them. And setting up this stage, which we have almost 100 people that help us in this. setup. This is what I know. They walk away, put their head on their pillow at night and say, man, that's how you live life. Why? Because they found their gift. And so we've got to know that first off, you've got to discover your gift. First Corinthians 14 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So it's okay for you to desire spiritual gifts. I get it. Somebody sitting out there say, pastor, you don't know me. I ain't got no gifts. (laughs) They're like, my gift is to stay out of the way. Like, just keep me out of the way. I'm not, I'm not going to mess nothing up. Well, this is what I would tell you, that there has been something in your life that has suppressed the very thing that God has created you for. Every one of you have got a gift. And that, that, the, the lie of the enemy is that I'm worthless, I'm no good, I've got nothing to offer. No, no, I'll tell you this. I would venture to say if that's you today, the devil is afraid of you discovering your gifts because he knows that when you do, there's no devil in hell that will stop you. <laughs> So someone says, how do I discover my gifts? This is the phrase that I would uh, propose to you. Design reveals destiny. Design reveals destiny. God has something for you to do first. And if that's the case then what you've got to do is you've got to go back and you say, God, how did you make me? How did you make me? Because how you made me will give me clues to what I'm supposed to do. Some people say, well, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. No, go figure out how God designed you because how he designed you will help you get to your destiny. And so we've got to know the design reveals destiny. Psalms 139, I love this. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. You're thinking about your spouses. Wonderfully complex. God made them wonderfully complex. Each and every one of us, you said, man, there's so many different areas of my life. Yeah, God made that. The passions inside of you, God made that. The things that you've got going on, now sometimes we're messed up, and so we got to go through the healing process for it to be redeemed back to the purpose of God. But you are wonderfully made, you are complex, and God loves you just the way you are. It says, Your workmanship is marvelous. If I were to tell you this, I think some of you need to look in the mirror and say, You're marvelous. You're marvelous. You're marvelous. See, you're not trying to get your perspective of yourself. You're trying to get God's perspective of you, and He thinks you're marvelous. David embraced how God made him. We've got to embrace that. And then He says, How well I know. I love that about David. He's like bragging on God, and then He said, God made me marvelous, how well I know. So, my question to you is, How well do you know that God made you marvelous? And so, we discover that. We understand that design reveals destiny. And just before we go on to the next one, I want you to know this. The key to that and understanding your design has to always be birthed out of a relationship with God. You could be in a career and discover. Someone says, well, I've taken my personality profile. That's good. You know, I've discovered some things that I'm good. That's good. But if that's the only way you've discovered it, you'll never truly live fulfilled. Because to find out every intricate detail, detail, to really understand why I am the way I am, you've got to go back to the designer. And it's the relationship with God that helps us to have wisdom and understanding to know how we were created and for what purpose. Ephesians chapter one says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for in Christ, in Christ. Now, as a church, we've made processes, and I'm gonna tell you about it in just a few moments. I believe if you have a value, you've gotta have a process. You can't say you value something and not have a process to help people experience it. But I will tell you this. If all we had was a process, we would fail. The reason the process works is because it's in Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so he goes on, he says, Long before we first heard that Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had a design for us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Colossians chapter 116 says this, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got its start in him and finds its in him. Can't do it apart from God. The second thing this how do we drink from this cup so you got to discover your purpose or discover your gifts second thing is you got to develop your gift got to develop your gift you say pastor why do i have to develop it because it's never perfect when you find it never perfect so you guys say, okay, I discovered Now, God, I need you to help me to develop. We have a process here. It's called growth track. Growth track is our systematic process to help people in this journey of life, to help them understand how it is that God created them and, and then to develop that gift that God put on the inside. So we have membership, uh, which is Church 101. So it's four weeks, happens every month. The first of the month, we do the very first one. It's membership, Church 101. Now, the reason this is important is because you got to be connected to the body of Christ. If you don't like this church and want to be a part of this church, that's okay. We love you. We bless you. My charge to you is after today, find a church and submit to its process. So if it's not this one, we would love for it to be this one. I want to be your pastor. We would love it. But this is what you got to know. It's the connection with God's people inside of the systems that God has churches to develop to bring you on the journey to living a fulfilled life. And so we do it Sunday morning. It's first Sunday of the month, 11 o'clock. It's during this service. There's about 15, 20 people right next door, right now happening, uh, that they're going through uh, one of the steps of the growth track. So it's membership, church 101. The second thing is this. Spiritual health. We want you to experience spiritual health, and we call it Essentials 201. Second Sunday of the month at 11 o'clock, what we want you to do is learn how to be spiritually healthy. How do I live healthy? How do I connect to God? What are some of the disciplines that I need in my life to make sure that I don't get stuck in this journey? And then the reason we do that is so that it leads to the third part, which is discovery. We want you to discover why God created you. And that's the one that's happening right now. You've got about 15 to 20 people next door discovering. They're taking their personality profiles, spiritual gifts tests, and they're discovering the design with which God created them. Now listen, you don't stop there. And this is why we are so excited about our dream team. We have over 200 people on our dream team that serve. You know, If all you do is discover your gifts and then you stop, how many know you've quit too soon? So now you've got to go into the next process. We call it Dream Team and uh, Dream Team 401. So the goal is this. Our responsibility is to get you to do the thing that God created you. That's what ministry is all about. Can I get an amen? Isn't that what ministry is all about? See, I know this. My greatest job description is not to just stand up here every week and to speak to you, which that's part of it. It's not to go and visit people in the hospital It's not to go out and to to feed the poor. It's not to go out and to do all the things that people think pastors do. Though I do those things, do you know what my real job description is? To equip you for the work of ministry. So the job description of pastors, the five-fold ministry, is that we would equip the body of Christ to go out and to do the work of the ministry. So I'm here to do this to inspire you, to, to raise the standard in your life, to cause you to see the pattern that God wants you to walk out, the journey that he wants you to live out. And then what I'm called to do is equip you and empower you for you to go do the work of the ministry. Isn't that what Acts is all about, the New Testament, about the disciples discipling others that were doing the works of the ministry? The apostles didn't do all the works. They discipled others to do the work. And so the body of Christ at large, that's the part of the Dream Team 401. It's, hey, man, we want to equip you so that you do the work of the ministry. I was reminded this last Easter, and I'm getting ready to close. I got two points and a verse, and I'll close a couple of weeks ago, it was Easter, and I was at the office, and someone came up. She's helping us with all the eggs. She, she leads all the, the eggs and all of our outreach. And I said, Well, how are things going? She said, Well, they're going good. She said, Well, you know, I, if I got to be honest, she said, It's been, been a lot. She said, But, Pastor, stuffing these eggs, getting ready for Easter, has saved my life. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, because I'm living for something greater than I'm experiencing. So, so I got problems. Things are rough. There's certain situations. But these eggs are giving me something to live for. And then I came here on Easter, and I just remember we did three services. I mean, we're part of one of the three services. So, so I'd take that conversation and come here. And I'm walking out. And just to be honest, we're like, man, three services. Woo, that's a lot. All my dream teamers, can I get a woo-woo? woo We're like, we we hear the vision, we're like, man, that's a lot, not sure, and we felt like that's what God told us to do, and so this is what I know. When I walked up on the campus, I just remember thinking probably people may be a little nervous or tired, and everybody had smiles from the parking team that got here at 5.30 in the morning. See, you didn't know that, but they were here at 5.30 in the morning, It wasn't just the parking team. It was the setup team and the hub and all the departments. And this is what I know. Not one person had a frown. Not one person was mad. Not one person was upset. This is what I heard. Man, I'm excited about today. God's going to change lives. He's going to use us to make a big difference in this community. It's the biggest day, the biggest opportunity. We're going to see God do great things. So I heard it at 530, and you know how it is. It's like, well, 530 is good. What's it going to be like at 1 o'clock? And as everybody was walking away from the egg hunt, we were coming back, I heard this, that was the greatest day I've ever seen. He said, you see all those people in that auditorium? Do you see how many people raise their hands? Do you see how many kids God touched? Did you know this? There were kids in our church that Sunday that heard the resurrection story for the very first time in their entire life. And though they were tired, though they had problems, and that's what you got to know. See, the goal is not to live a problem-free life. The goal is to be able to lay your head down at the end of the night and say, i got problems, but that's how you live a life. To have something that's greater than the problems that you live with. And so we call, we say, God, man, God, just use us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, God has given gifts to each of you from a great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well. So he's given you gifts. When you get to heaven, he's going to say, how did you manage what I gave you? But I love this. It says, so that God's generosity can flow through you. God's Generosity can flow through you. You say, well, I thought he's talking about money. Well, in one aspect, he is because a spiritual gift of giving is a spiritual gift. But then you've got all these other spiritual gifts that are not related to money. So what kind of thing is he talking about giving? He's talking about giving your life away. And he says here that God's generosity can flow through you. That as you serve people, you're being generous. That God's, he, he's using you to touch the world. And I'm honored to have hundreds of Dream Team members each and every week, serve to lay their lives down, to give what God has given them to others so that others could experience what they've experienced. And I have a promise for you, all the dream teamers, as your pastor, and then everybody else, the future dream teamers, right? Here's your promise. Hebrews chapter six, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them Uh, you got to catch that again he says so he will not forget your work and the love that you have shown to him as you have helped you say well how did I show him love how how did I do all this it's because you loved his people you want to love God listen I get worship it's awesome But did you know it's not just about coming here and worshiping God? It's not just about your prayer time. It's not just about reading the Bible. If all we do is worship, pray, and read the Bible, but don't love his people, we have failed. But there's something about it that says, God, I love you so much. Your love inside of me moves me to action. And look at what God says. I'm not going to forget it. The, The love that you've shown me by showing my people Love, write this down and as we close, write it down. I want you to write this down. Your real purpose is to serve God while serving others. Steve, you guys can come on up. Your real purpose is to serve God while serving others. You can bow your head, close your eyes. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that next week. I want every one of you to come back next week. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna tell you this too. As your pastor, I wanna ask every one of you to go through the growth track. If you've not been through the growth track, if you call the church your home, go. Allow it to work in you as you discover God's purpose for your life. I just wanna pray over you. And then, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. We worship you, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning as people have sat here, I I sensed there are people here that don't feel great, they feel less than. So when I even said there's greatness inside, they said there's no way, you don't know me. Lord, would you just let them get your heart for them? The pain of the past, just wash it away. Things that have happened that have caused them, maybe seeds that have been sown in the form of words, we cancel those words that have been spoken in their life. Lord, and even me, I know I wrestled with inferiority. And even last week, God, I just wrestled with how I felt. God, we cancel that assignment of the devil, that they'll not feel inferior. And Lord, the diversions, I know there's people here today, you've been on the wrong path, going the wrong way. But God, right now, would you correct their path? And Lord, that ultimately we would discover our design which would then lead us to our destiny. And Lord, I pray that not one person connected to the church would at the end of their life say, I don't know uh, why God created me. Lord, they would know why you created them. And Lord, they would walk in the journey that you've called them to walk in. And Lord, there is a purpose that the world around them, sometimes we think God changed the world, that's too great. No, just change the people around you by showing them your love. Would you do that in them, God? Just let your grace, your grace fill this room.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have a story to share of how God has been working in your life, please send us an email at info at ilovethechurch.tv We invite you to check out the church's Facebook page and don't forget to like us. You can also follow the church on Twitter at twitter.com slash thechurchforme And if you are in the Rosenberg area, we invite you to be our guest this Sunday morning. Finally, if you would like to make a donation to the church, you can give online at www.ilovethechurch.tv. We invite you to listen again next week. Until then, have a blessed week.